Hey, welcome to Calvary. My name is Carter and I'm the worship and tech director here. Here at Calvary, we want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God, and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. This is a great first step to joining our church family. We also want you to experience daily encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God, and find a small group that you can really connect with, we'd encourage you to talk to one of our volunteers or staff after the service. I'm so glad you could join us. say that it's so good on a cloudy morning, a cloudy weekend to see so many sunny and bright faces. <laughs> so awesome. So thank you for being here this morning. It's great. So at the end of World War II, much of Europe and Asia lay in ruins. After all, the capacity for destruction during this war was so much greater than any other conflict. As many as 60 million people had died and millions more had fled their homes. In Germany, it was estimated that 70% of all the houses had been destroyed. In the Soviet Union, tens of thousands of towns and villages lay in shambles. And in Japan, of course, we know that two cities were horrendously obliterated. Across the continents of Europe and Asia, factories and workshops were in ruins and fields and forests and gardens and vineyards were ripped to pieces. Food and supplies were extremely scarce because the majority of ports and bridges and railways were just smoking piles of ash. The mental toll on people as well was just as great. Approximately a million American soldiers sought psychiatric help after the war. And the trauma and the fear that the Holocaust and the bombing survivors endured was horrific and unfathomable fathomable and lasted for years and years. The Allies did what they could to try and feed and house refugees and reunite families, but the scale of the task and the cost of rebuilding was overwhelming. Not only would buildings and infrastructures need repair, but more importantly, people's lives 
People's lives would need to be rebuilt. And there's a very striking similarity with what happened then to where we are at in our series. So this morning, we continue the book of Nehemiah, and a recap of where we're at shows that Nehemiah was a Jewish man who was born in, born in the foreign land of Babylon. Many years before, his people had been conquered, and their city of Jerusalem, including the walls and the, and the temple, had totally been destroyed, and, and they were taken away to Babylon as slaves. And after 70 years in captivity, they began to be released to return to Jerusalem. In the meantime, Nehemiah had risen to the prestigious position of trusted cupbearer to the king. And as he had heard the stories of devastation and destruction and fear and poverty from his own land and from his city, his heart broke and he was stirred to action. So we went to the king, his boss, who loved and trusted him and poured out his heart and the king granted him everything that he needed to go back to his land and to Jerusalem to bring restoration. When Nehemiah arrived at his destination, he was overwhelmed by the terrible state of the city and also by the condition of the people who for years had been living with fear and anxiety and insecurity. And sadly, this is true of many people today. They too have been living with years of anxiety and fear and uncertainty. But aren't you so grateful that we have a God who loves to restore and loves to rebuild people's lives? So far, the chapters up to now have covered the, the restoration of the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. But going forward, chapters 8 through 13 will tell us about the rebuilding of the people of Judah. The title of these next few weeks is God's Heart to Rebuild. And my title this morning is Beyond the Wall. And it's from Nehemiah chapter 7. This is a transition chapter between the walls being completed and then Nehemiah beginning the next stage of his plan, which is to rebuild people's lives and to rebuild community. Last week, Pastor Barry showed us how in spite of all of the opposition Nehemiah faced, in spite of the trouble. He had the confidence to trust God and to overcome the enemy's false accusations and attacks to complete the building of the wall in a miraculous 52 days. However, rebuilding the wall wasn't the end. It was actually just the beginning the most important mission beyond rebuilding the wall, beyond the wall itself, was the rebuilding of people's lives and community, which was still ahead. This is what we'll be focusing on for the second half 
of our series. So let's begin reading chapter 7 this morning. After the wall was finished and I had set up the doors and the gates, the gatekeeper, singers, and Levites were appointed. I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, for he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. I said to them, do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day, and even while the gatekeepers are on duty, shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve at sentry posts and some in front of their own homes. Can you imagine how relieved they must have been to have finished the wall? Think of all the hard work. Think of all the sacrifice. Think of all the blood and sweat and tears that went into those 52 days. And for Nehemiah, this was the completion of Mission Impossible number one. And it had been a lot longer for almost a year For almost a year, it had been the only thing on his mind, the only thing in his heart. It was the subject of much praying and fasting, of strategic planning, of patiently trusting God's timing, and of enduring fierce opposition. How true is that when God also puts a mission on our hearts? When he does, we too must Press in with prayer and fasting and strategic planning and patiently trusting God in the delays and not giving up when faced with trouble and opposition. Nehemiah had made great sacrifices for the mission he was called to. He sacrificed his location, his prestigious career, his lifestyle of comfort and luxury. His whole life had changed because of the wall. And so had the peoples. They were like pioneers that left the ease and comfort of their existing life to go to a broken down place and sacrifice and work hard to rebuild an established community. And now the wall was built. The last thing to do to be accomplished was to hang the doors in the gates, and that was done. So we reach a point in Nehemiah where the perimeter of the city, after 150 years, is finally secure. So now, safety and stability can be rebuilt in people's lives. The mission wasn't complete. It had only begun. So what do we do? What do we do beyond the rebuilding of the wall? Well, the first thing we get this morning, the first thing we discover is that we guard the ground we've, been, we've taken We guard the ground we've taken. Like I said, rebuilding the wall wasn't the end game. It was just the beginning. 
There are times to build, and just as important, there are times to preserve and times to protect what has been built. Did you know that one of the most dangerous times in our lives is just after we celebrate a victory? It could be a a natural victory, like a, a goal we've worked very hard to achieve, or usually it's after a spiritual victory. Often our guard is down because we've just fought through a battle, and frankly, we may be exhausted. Maybe you've worked so hard through freedom session, or you've had spiritual victories in times of healing in other ways. But you can't sit back. Press into God. Press into community. Your community, your small group, those are the people who will help watch your back and help you stay on guard. Don't let the enemy take back the healing you've received. Second John verse one, or Second John chapter one verse eight says, "Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked so hard to achieve." Personally, in my life, in my marriage, my wife and I have had to be fiercely protective to guard the ground we've taken in having a great marriage. From day one, it was challenging. It was a perfect storm, you could say. She was from a very strong American family, a a mom who was a head nurse and a dad who was a Marine Corps captain. And he specialized in intelligence gathering and demolitions, So depending on what he found out about me when her and I were dating, I never knew when I might start my car and boom, (laughs) I'd be playing a harp on a cloud. But seriously, in her family, no one beat around the bush. No one tried to make sure things were said gently, that no one's feelings were hurt. No, life is hard, and they prepared their children for it, letting them know their faults and how to work on them. Everything was clear and black and white, and I never, never had to guess where any of them were coming from. My family was just the opposite. Two laid-back, nice Canadian parents who rarely directly confronted. They always hinted at things. They always tried to say things nicely, so no one ever felt bad. As far as I knew, I didn't have any faults. Life was hard, so let's protect our children from it. Let's make things easy for them. And their spouse can sort things out later. Seriously, my mother actually said that to my wife. Wow, talk about a wedding present. Here's my son. My wife's like, thank you, I think. But God had a reason and a purpose and a mission for us together. And he had given both of us a gift of many godly generations before us. 
So we weren't going to let the enemy steal that ground that those before us had taken. Marriage is not for the faint of heart, but it's for the courageous. So we fought to keep that ground. We read books, we watched and listened and went to seminars on the different personality types, on the love languages, on birth order and sex and finances and raising children and walking in forgiveness. Even to this day, we continue to fight for, to guard and to put on the armor of God over ourselves and over our marriage. It's crucial, it's so important that we fight to maintain what God has done in our lives and the healing and victories that we have achieved. So what else can we do to rebuild community beyond rebuilding the walls? So number two is recognize different callings. Nehemiah verse 1 says, After the wall was finished and I had set up the doors and the gates, the gatekeeper, singers, and Levites were appointed. The gatekeepers, well, those who were on guard to protect the city, those were the gatekeepers. For example, your small group leaders are there to care and watch over you. Our elders, our ministry leaders, our amazing volunteer leaders, our intercessors, all are working together to rebuild, maintain, and guard community. The singers, those who led the people in praise and worship. Do you know it mentions the singers 18 times in Nehemiah? The walls were rebuilt so that people could worship God again without fear and with great freedom. How many of you appreciate our incredible singers and musicians and sound and tech team that bring us into worship and God's presence each Sunday? I know I do. Amen. The Levites, these were the, the priests that ministered to God on behalf of the people. These are like your pastors and ministry, ministry leaders who teach and preach the word of God and lead in vision and mission. Ephesians 4.11, it's, it's not on the screen, but it says that Christ gave many different callings and giftings for the building of the church and the building of community. God has made each one of us here unique with a unique gifting and calling. What is yours? What else can we do to prepare to rebuild community? Number three is we develop faithfulness. So verse 2 says, I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, for he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. So great skill and talent and ability, they all pale in comparison to solid, reliable, faithful character. It doesn't matter if you can't sing or play an instrument or if you're shy about meeting people or if you don't speak well in front of others 
or if technology or working with children, if those aren't your things, that's okay. Do you know some of our greatest, most incredible volunteers are those who are in the back of our hot kitchen washing dishes or after everyone has left their scrubbing tables or changing garbages? And you know what? They are amazing because they show up consistently, because they have character, and they are faithful. So how can we develop faithfulness in our lives? Well, one way is do what you say. If you promise or commit to something, keep your word. Show up. But I'm tired. But this or that came up. Well, understandable. However, what would it look like for you to develop even more faithfulness in this area? For example, if you've stepped up and said that you're willing to help as a volunteer, that's fantastic. Thank you. Developing even more faithfulness might mean finding someone that you can train and mentor. That would be incredible. You would have a backup and you would have a successor. That would be so cool. Faithfulness is key in your family, your job, your ministry. God and our community here, we need and depend on you because you are valuable and you play a key role. How else can we develop faithfulness in our lives? Well, do what God has given you to do and do it well. For example, are you a father with a family to support? Well, then work hard, but also help around the house and and with the kids. Most of us are or have been or will be employees. So be on time. Even better, be early. Be the hardest worker there. Be dependable. I'm so thankful that I had a dad who I remember every morning going early to work. I can't think of one time I remember him staying home from work because he was sick or for any other reason. And I'm so thankful for for kids who have, during seasons um, or times when they've had to work longer hours or put in the extra work, they didn't complain They just did what needed to be done. So have a great attitude and spirit of excellence in everything you do. The next key to developing faithfulness is start with the little things. In Luke 16, Jesus' words are paraphrased this way. It says, if you're faithful in small-scale matters, you'll be faithful with far bigger responsibilities. The particular context here was money, but it's a much broader point. So do you pay your bills on time? Do you honor God with the finances he has given you through generosity? Do you use your time effectively? What about relationships? If we can manage the small things in life Well, God can trust us with the larger, more important things. So how do we help others 
develop faithfulness. Well, we lead by example. Second Timothy says, what you have heard me say in front of many people, you must teach to faithful men and women. Then they will be able to teach others also. No matter what God has given you to do, remember that you represent him. Therefore, be an example to others, whether it's your children or fellow employees or neighbors. Someone is always watching us. So, big or small, lead by example and do everything with a great attitude and with excellence. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says that we are called to lead with faithfulness. So what else can we do to prepare to rebuild community? Number four is always be watchful. Verse three said, or says, I said to them, do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day. And even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve as sentry posts and some in front of their own homes. As I mentioned earlier, this was such an important time. They had just accomplished such a great task and therefore they had to be especially diligent. Nehemiah is basically saying here, open the gates late and close them early And even when they're closed and locked, be on guard. So give the enemy as little opportunity as possible. We too need to watch out for our enemy's tactics. 1 Peter 5 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to be alert and watch out for the spiritual dangers that Satan tries to entrap us with that can cause us to fall into sin and destroy our lives and our destiny. So, Church leaders, small group leaders, be alert and watchful for the dangers that could damage God's people. Church community, guard our mouths so that we don't gossip or slander and cause division and disunity. Married couples and singles, be alert to the temptations that can draw us into sin, that could destroy our marriages, that could destroy our futures as individuals. Parents, parents, be so watchful for the dangers that could destroy your children. So interesting that Nehemiah tells us that everyone was to be on guard and it was to start in their own homes. Parents, I want to encourage you to guard what your children are watching on every screen available to them. 
Be watchmen of what they're viewing. Install software or apps on their devices to help you watch over them and to help guard the content they have access to. My wife and I often laugh as we have a very common list of all the TV shows and movies and music we weren't allowed to watch or listen to as kids or teenagers. It annoyed us back then as our friends would talk about them. However, we can clearly see now that our parents were being alert and watchful. The enemy's attempts to try and twist and pervert our children's thinking through media and education and entertainment and advertising are so evil and so pervasive. Everything that is aimed at them is to get them to question who they are, to question how God made them perfectly in his image, to go against their created nature itself. And then the push to have parents butt out to not know what their kids are being taught or encouraged or watching is even more evil. Parents ask God for his help to be alert, to be on guard, and to be involved and watchful in every area of your children's lives. Check your young kids' devices all the time. And periodically even check your teenager's devices. You won't win any popularity contests. But you are accountable to God. He has entrusted you with the children he has given you and with being on guard for their very souls. Well, I don't want to be one of those parents. Guess what? The enemy doesn't want you to be one of those parents either. But God and your children need you to be. Isaiah 62 says, Oh, Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all of you who pray to the Lord. Our spiritual safety as a church community counts on each of us to be willing and able to be watchful, always on guard for our own hearts and our own families against sin. So what else can we do to prepare to build community? Realize that we all play a valuable role, a critical role, Nehemiah 7, verse 4 says, At that time the city was large and spacious, but the population was small, and none of the houses had been rebuilt. So my God gave me the idea to call together all the nobles and leaders of the city, along with the ordinary citizens, for registration. I had found the genealogical record of those who had first returned to Judah." 
Now that the walls were rebuilt, Nehemiah has turned his attention to rebuilding the hearts and lives of the people. He also notices that many of the houses that had been destroyed weren't rebuilt. So God puts it on his heart to take a census of the people so he can better assess the situation. After all, only 2% of all of those who had been taken into captivity, had the courage to return. So he does so by genealogy and family history so that he can determine exactly who came back and how they fit into rebuilding community. God knew exactly who came back and for what purpose. So he places the wisdom in Nehemiah's heart to come up with a plan. It is so important that you realize today that no matter what your family background, no matter what your background or history period, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God has placed you here at this point in history as part of community to fulfill the role that he has planned for you. You and your family may be the first in line to decide to become Christ followers, or previous godly generations may have passed the torch to you. Either way, you are now called to carry it faithfully and pass it to the next generation. You are part of God's kingdom, and you have a key role in God's plan to rebuild community. The worship team can go ahead and come up. So our final point this morning is live generously. Verse 6 to 69, if we went through each verse and read each family, we'd be here till morning, but they are a detailed list of all the families who came back. And then verses 70 to 72 literally list in today's numbers millions of dollars given by the families who were committed to rebuilding community. Why? Because they were invested. They were fully in. These 2% of the people who didn't stay in Babylon were true pioneers. They gave up lives of comfort and ease for something far more significant. First of all, they put in the hard work to rebuild the walls. And now they're investing out of their own pockets in rebuilding community and rebuilding people's lives. Maybe you're brand new here or you've only been here for a short time and you know what? You're still trying to figure out if this is the church community for you and it might or not might not be. That's that's okay. But if you said if you've said yes, this is where we will put down roots. We've joined a small group or we're volunteering and we're tying into the vision we hear each week from the pulpit. This is where our family is being spiritually fed. Then is it time for you to start investing? into what God is doing here. In the book of Malachi, the people were enjoying the benefits of community without contributing to the cost of community. God said, that's not how I've set things up. 
God says, my intention is for everyone to contribute to building my church, building community. And this is the exciting part. When they were all obedient to do so, to do their part in giving and generosity, God would do his part. And he would open up the windows of heaven and pour out his blessing. God is so serious about this that he says, if you don't believe me, test me. Test me. So let's do this. Let's do this together. What does rebuilding look like beyond the rebuilding of the wall? It's being alert and guarding what God has already been accomplishing. It's faithfully using the talents and abilities that God has given each of us. And it's generously through the blessings we've been given, working and contributing together to build community and reach a lost and hurting world. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Even as Pastor Doug.